Welcome to Sundial. I'm Carlos Frias. When the president at Florida International University looks around campus, he sees himself in a lot of the students. Not just because he's a Fort Lauderdale kid. Kenneth Jessel was the first person in his family to go to college. Just like 20% of undergrads at FIU. Now he's the one in charge of making sure the university supports them. Kenneth took a different path to the top job. He has a finance and real estate background. He spent 26 years at Florida Atlantic University in Boca Raton. He handled the financial affairs for the university as a senior VP. He spent most of his time behind the scenes. That changed last year at FIU. The school's longtime president resigned after allegations of misconduct. Kenneth was asked to serve as interim president, then president. Now, less than a year later, FIU is making news again, but for very different reasons. The university moved up in the annual U.S. news rankings. Clearly, Kenneth and FIU are doing something right. So let's talk to him about his vision for the university. Welcome aboard, Ken. Carlos, good afternoon. So nice to be with you. I think we got to give you a round of applause, you and FIU, right? The uh, UNFAU, which you have a, a long history with also, were the, the only two public state universities in Florida to move up in the rankings. Yes. At, well, there were a few others, oh, but, but uh, in terms of South Florida, absolutely. Those were the two. Yeah. My, my Gators dropped down on the <laughs> list, but, uh, but we don't have to get into all that. But uh, I'll give you your moment. You got your moment, so... So, obviously, we are very excited on campus uh, mm -hmm. to be ranked number 64 public university in the country by U.S. News is quite an accomplishment. And that's a rise of eight spots over last year. And over the last 10 years, we've actually increased by 64 spots in the public university category. Wow, that's so, great. 10 spots in... in in 10 years, that's that's quite a... That's well, quite we a went, well, actually, we went up 64. 64 spots in 10 years. Correct. So we would have been 128, and now we're at 64. So that's amazing when you look at the ability to rise so fast in any ranking. Well, well let's go into that a little bit. I'm curious, uh, you know, because I know that, that uh, U.S. News and World Report, you know, they make a... Uh, everybody really pays attention to those rankings, and they had a little bit of a shift on how they value, um, you know, what makes a great university, what makes a you know, a ranked university being higher or lower. Uh, talk to me about that, about like where it is, what it is about FIU that really is, is catching fire, you know, is really keeping them moving up the rankings. Well, it's really not so much what is new at FIU as it is what's happening with the ranking agencies. Hmm. So we have always been focused on, you know, student success, not so much inputs, but making sure that all of our students are successful. We've been focusing on a quality education. We've been focusing on uh, very, very high graduation rates for our students. We've been focusing on the careers of our students, their ability to obtain great jobs, create great jobs in the future. And we're seeing that the ranking agencies are now focusing on outcomes and performance rather than uh, inputs and legacy. And that's why you've seen a lot of shifts in, in, in scores over the last uh, few years. Oh, interesting. So, so the rankings really are reflecting graduation rates and, and GPAs and that kind of thing? They're, they're not so much looking at GPAs, but they are looking at graduation rates. They're looking at our ability to educate underrepresented populations mm -hmm. and making sure that they graduate and are successful. Most importantly is the comparison of salaries five or 10 years out and how the salaries of our graduates compare to the salaries of other uh, uh, college university graduates. And that's where 
FIU really shines. Oh, that's uh, a good selling point. Come here, and you'll and you'll make a good. No, you'll have a good exactly. Salary. You there. There's a ranking that came out uh, two years ago. Degree choices. And last year, we were ranked number eight in the country wow. of all publics and privates. Wow. And they look at two key factors. Number one, the payback. How quickly do you as a student recover your investment in higher education? And then 10 years out, how do you perform salary-wise to all other college graduates? You and, know, I think you bring up an interesting point that a lot of kids are going through, especially now that, that college begins to feel more more unaffordable for folks and there really is the is this idea of, about an investment like what kind of return on investment do I get from going to say I'm a Miami kid staying at FIU versus going to uh, Tallahassee at FSU versus leaving the state you know or going to an Ivy League and paying you know a hundred thousand dollars a year uh, people are doing that math now Abs- absolutely yeah. you don't have to spend a lot of money to get an outstanding degree you get an outstanding degree taught by the best faculty, hmm. faculty that are doing cutting-edge research, faculty that are so committed uh, to their students. And we know that just because of how well our students perform in the marketplace once they graduate. So it's not just our saying it. The evidence is proving it, and that's why you're seeing these modifications in the rankings to focus on what is really important, and that is student success. How well do we provide access, and how well do they perform once they graduate? And there is no better uh, measure, in my view, of a university or a college than the success of their students. Yeah. It strikes me that you're you're a numbers guy, so like you are pay, you are paying attention to these numbers uh, very intently because I mean there's different like I, we mentioned you know in the introduction there there's there's kind of two paths like I think in journalism you come up through the writer path or you come up through the editor path or the page layout kind of path and and I'm and you know we have a lot of university professors that do come up the humanities track but you came up like the financial track tell me does that does that give you a different perspective when you're looking at not just making a university successful, but having it make sense to a student, a prospective student. I, I believe the answer is yes. Uh, certainly, I have a, a, a an academic background. I have a PhD in finance. Mm-hmm. That is a research degree. Uh, but spending time uh, on the finance side really elevated, you know, my ability to improve the educational experience. Because at the end of the day, we have to provide a quality product and mm-hmm. do it with limited resources. Yeah. And so we're always looking at ways to innovate, ways to uh, get efficiencies without sacrificing quality. And in fact, the way we do it, we're able to improve the quality uh, for our students. So knowing the numbers is a big plus in my view. It certainly has been a big plus for me on both you know, the academic side and the administrative side. You know, I, I want you to look at FIU like a student for a minute. Um, you came here in 2009, right? Two, and 2009. You, and you had been at FAU for a career. I mean, 20, 20 plus years in a place is, a, is almost a career in a place. 26 years. Yeah. So then you get here. What made you decide that this was going to be your next move? This was going to be the place where you wanted to be? You know, it's it's uh, interesting. Uh, I had known the former president for many, many years mm-hmm. because we were in the same state system. Mm-hmm. Uh, we served together on the Council of Academic Pro- Vice Presidents while we were ser- both serving as provosts for our institutions. And when he accepted the position of president in 2009, he asked me to come down. Why mm-hmm. don't you think about FIU? And 
three or four times I said, no, I'm not really interested. I've been here for 26 years. Uh, you know, I'll retire here. Uh, so I'm not, I don't really have an interest. But he finally got me to come down for a lunch and to meet with just a few of his key administrators mm -hmm. and some students. And I was literally blown away. I was so impressed with uh, the students that I met with. And it was only a few, uh, but they had such different backgrounds and they were hardworking. Uh, they had a great vision for their future. They came from very modest backgrounds. Uh, I also met with some of the faculty. Uh, I could see their commitment to their students, some of the administrators, and a few board members. And that night, I went home to my wife and I said, Lori, I see something very special at FIU. Well, it's interesting because I think uh, a school like FIU, I know FAU a little bit as well, working at the Palm Beach Post mm -hmm. for years, and FA FIU is incredibly, it's it's a commuter school. It was thought of as a commuter school for a long time, but it's also a place where, you know, kids that don't want to leave, that want to stay home or, or feel comfortable in Miami and kind of want to make a life here and come from very diverse backgrounds, come from like first-generation immigrant families. You know, I know that I can I can guess that a lot of your students do have like uh, are kind of first generation immigrants, um, kind of making their career in, in in colleges, and and I imagine that that was very that was very different from you as from from what you were coming from. It, it was the demographics of the student uh, were completely different, and FAU has amazing students as well. But I saw this as something special and a very unique opportunity. So I made the decision very quickly. Uh, to come to FIU. Yeah. It, one, one point, though, mm -hmm. uh, you're right that when FIU was, was established, and this is also true for FAU, they were upper division and then upper division graduate. So they truly were commuter uh, mm -hmm. uh, institutions without, without having housing on campus. When you look at us today uh, and the number of students that live on campus or right across the street from campus in, in, in ancillary housing, we truly are a residential population. Our students are taking 13, 14, 15 credit hours mm -hmm. you know, per semester. Right, this is not a night school. It's, <laughs> it's, it's not a night school. A long we, way from that, we, yeah. We obviously offer night courses, we have online courses, but we are truly a residential institution with 4,500 living on campus right now and about 4,300 right across the street in the Sweetwater uh, properties with another 1,200 uh, coming on board. And mm -hmm. that doesn't include all of the uh, existing housing stock pre-2015 uh, that is that is around there, yeah. thousands of, of, of uh, housing units. And it's very similar to what you would find, uh, for example, at your, your alma mater, mm -hmm. University of Florida, uh, where you, it wasn't so much living on campus, but right around campus. Yeah, you, and the, we are at that point. It takes over that part of town, so to speak. It does. You know, I'm curious, is it, you obviously have a background, um, you know, a, a, definitely a behind the scenes background. Even when you're a provost at university, you're, it's definitely, it's, it seems like by design or by choice, you know. Last year, Mark Rosenberg um, steps down from the position and he's demoted, he's still at the university. And you're asked to step into that spot. Talk to me about making that decision, because that is quite a leap, right, to becoming the face and the voice of a university. You can be sure of that. Yeah. And I was not aware of any of these issues until uh, late Thursday afternoon. 
uh, when I was called to meet with the uh, chair of the board of trustees. Mm. Uh, so this was around 5.30 in the afternoon, and I was informed of the circumstances and that the board would be asking me tomorrow uh, to step in as interim president. And on top of that, Mark, you just said he's the whole reason you came here. He's a friend of yours. Absolutely. We go back many years. So you must have been very conflicted. It, well, it was, it was more than just being uh, conflicted. It was, it was really in shock, number one, that yeah. we had the circumstances, and two, that it was happening uh, so quickly. Uh, but it was a, an easy decision. I was literally uh, walking into our condo after the, the, the brief conversation that I had with the former chair of the Board of Trustees, mm. and my wife was walking out. She was on her way to uh, Fort Lauderdale because the next morning she was going to take my mother for... Uh, a doctor's appointment, and my mother's living in Fort Lauderdale. Oh, shout and out I to said, mom. Say hi to I mom. Said, well, uh, I said to my wife, uh, just give me 30 minutes before you leave. And literally, she was walking out the door. And we talked about it. And I love FIU. I am so committed to FIU. It's, it's students, it's faculty, it's staff, and the community that Clearly, it was something that I wanted to do. I was very willing to step in uh, to, that, to that position. And of course, the next day, uh, the Board of Trustees uh, voted uh, for me to become the, the interim president. I'm curious, because obviously we're talking about FIU moving up in the rankings mm-hmm. this year. There, I mean, that easily could have been something that derailed the university for a long time. Um, what do you think helped bring confidence back to the school? Well. Reputations take a long time to achieve, but they can be lost uh, very quickly. Mm-hmm. But the heart and soul of our university continued. And I believe it continued with just a very, very small you know, hiccup. We reassured our faculty, we reassured our, our students that we were gonna continue to focus on the things that are important, mm-hmm. their success and research excellence. Nothing was going to change. Uh, we uh, put in processes and procedures, so uh, hopefully no other student or faculty member or staff member uh, would have to go through uh, an ordeal. Mm-hmm. And that brought a lot of comfort to people, knowing that they had, they had a way to report any type of incident. So I believe we did an outstanding job of restoring the calm to the university by showing everybody that we were not changing in our direction. And the nice thing is, because I had been at FIU at that time for almost 13 years, I had been involved in the last three strategic plans of the university. So it's not like there was anything that we were focusing on that we were not striving for that was outside of something I was comfortable with. You knew so the we just continued on. Exactly. We weren't changing direction uh, because of a hiccup. Things happen all the time in, in business, in industry, in society, mm. and we just have to move forward, and we did. And I believe we did it at a, at a very, very uh, good pace. Our guest today is FIU President Ken Jessel. He's a South Florida native who leads one of the largest public universities in the country. Ken, like we were saying before, you're, you're a Fort Lauderdale guy, right? And, but you're also, you were the first in your family to go to college. And I, I can kind of empathize or sympathize with this because my, my dad, you know, my late dad was, uh, you know, he went to a one-room schoolhouse, you know, with, with sixth graders and first graders all in one in Cuba. And my mom just went to secretarial school to be able to, you know, run the numbers at a photography business. 
And it was a big deal when you're the first one going to school of your of your household, you know. There's a lot of things you have to do for yourself that your folks can't help you with. I'm I'm curious what that was like for you, if, thinking back. I know that's uh, thinking back well, but to, to kind of be the first and how that was received for you. Yes, and it is thinking back a very, very long period of time. <laughs> I just uh, celebrated uh, in, in uh, uh, June my uh, 50th high school uh, graduation in Fort Lauderdale. Where did you go to high school? Fort Lauderdale High School. Okay. <laughs> the original. Oh, so really? It really is uh, Fort Lauderdale as home. Uh, you know, it, it really takes uh, a, a great teacher or a mentor uh, and parents that encourage you to do your best and to be your best. Mm. In my case, I had uh, a wonderful government teacher uh, Lorraine uh, Link in high school, the senior year. And during that time, you had Watergate going on. Oh, of course. And so we right. would, you know, the Senate was broadcasting all of the the uh, hearings, and you had conversations about, you know, the House of Representatives, what they were going to be doing. You had you had discussions about the Supreme Court and and the decisions regarding uh, forcing the... the, the uh, 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 giving away of of the tapes, uh, turning those over, and and all of the the interactions between the executive branch, legislative branch, and judicial branch. So uh, civics, of government. civics were really interesting it, to you. It was very interesting, and that teacher just made it so interesting, and that it was so important mm. for someone to really understand the values of of our great democracy here. So when I went to FSU, mm-hmm. I wanted to be uh, a government major, so it was government political science. Oh wow! So that really, it really touched something it, off in you to to want to study. It, it really did, and it just goes back to just a few teachers that you have uh, that can really make a difference, mm-hmm. not only as educators uh, but as as mentors. You met, you mentioned your mom earlier. You you've lost your you lost your mom, but it sounds like like that the fact that she was in your life and your and your and your wife was leaving to take her to a doctor's appointment to the. You know, uh, it just sounds like you were its you were very embedded. You were very connected to your family yes, uh, to the very end. Very, very blessed to have uh, just under 93 uh, years uh, uh, with her. Oh, amazing. Uh, so, and, and she was truly a mother to my wife because my, mother, my uh, wife's mother had passed away when she was just a teenager. So it was a great uh, family relationship. Uh, but you need that type of support and encouragement. Uh, all the way through life. And I'm sure you've experienced the same yourself. Sure. And in, in college, I had great uh, uh, teachers. I can still recite the names of my professors in, in most of the classes. Amazing. Uh, that really made a difference. And then I had an opportunity uh, to go into business. Let, had, let, let's, give oh. one of those, let's give one of those professors some love. Who, who's one that, that you took a class that really oh, changed your perspective? Well, there's nothing like going to college to having your mind yeah. opened up in a way you so, don't th- so there are many, and sadly, because it's been so many years uh, that I graduated uh, college, uh, they're all deceased. But but Paul Picard. Uh, what did Paul? What did what was Paul's role? His was American government, uh, and then uh, John Vander uh, Vanderoff taught British politics. Uh, Craig Amazing. Angelo start, uh, taught party politics. I mean, just great teachers. Uh, that made everything exciting, and, and, and you were in kind of like the like this, uh, you know, this place in Tallahassee, which was you know the obviously the seat of, of government in Florida, which I'm sure that those things uh, they were really impressed upon a student body, I would imagine. A- absolutely, 
Yeah. And your, your dad was in public service, right? Yes, my dad was uh, a police officer for Broward County uh, Sheriff's Department. Wow. What, what was that like? And, and your mom was, uh, was a homemaker? Mom time? was a homemaker. So what was that like? I mean, was your dad, like, was he on the streets? Was he on a beat? Was he a... He was, he was uh, primarily uh, on the beat mm. uh, in Broward County. And it goes back many, many years. Uh, Mom was always home. So we always came home to, uh, to someone uh, at the house, someone that was, you know, cooking every day. Uh, and a lot of people, obviously, today don't have that. Yep. So that's a real blessing. Yeah. Uh, tell me about some of the ways that you're... Uh, what what did your dad think? Because he obviously, I mean, to be a, a police a police officer is a is a post high school career thing as well. Like, what was what was the the feeling about going to college in your home? And were you an only child? Or I have I have an older brother and a younger uh, sister. I see, and I know that they were were uh, very proud of the fact uh, that I went to uh, college and were always uh, very supportive uh, of that. Yeah. Uh, it was a it was an adjustment for sure leaving Fort Lauderdale where I I had always lived and in fact except for my time uh, living in Tallahassee as an undergraduate student and a graduate student I have never lived outside of of South Florida. Oh wow! But so South Florida is really home. I have a lot of family members. I had. Uh, 15 cousins on both sides, so it was a lot of fun being down here. Oh, that's great. I have about uh, the same them. number, yeah, about so, so 15. It's a, yep. So when we get together, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun uh, being, with, uh, being with family. But going away almost 500 miles, even the climate in itself, that first winter in Tallahassee. 30 degrees, what is that? 30s and 20s, 30s? right. <laughs> I, I didn't have clothing, uh, you know, for that. And and every Fort Lauderdale kid that I knew was like was a was an Everglades or boat kid, right? Like a kid that spent time on the boat or going to the Everglades was because uh, I know you you later you've you've talked to some of our producers about environmentalism being an important part of FIU um, and the and the and the study tracks and what have you. Um, I'm curious what it was like for you. Like were you were you one of those barefoot kids in the, in so the Everglades? My, yeah, my dad my dad had a boat and we would mm-hmm. go out and in, into the ocean. Uh, we would do uh, uh, airboat rides uh, in the Everglades, mm-hmm. and it's interesting that you'd bring that up because uh, my my uh, son for his twelfth birthday, uh, I wanted to do a special party. And the Everglades are beautiful, and we had never done a real trip there, so we went to Billy Swamp Safari. Uh, my son and eleven other of his friends uh, from school and one other dad. So we had these kids. Ooh, you had a, your hands full. <laughs> and it was really an exciting uh, adventure. We, we stayed in one of the huts overnight. We did a late night swamp buggy ride. Uh, we had the infrared binoculars so they could see all the wildlife that you wouldn't normally see oh, wow. during the day. Uh, and then the next morning, we did a, a daytime uh, swamp buggy ride. We did an airboat ride. We got to see the, the, the alligators. We're walking out on these very narrow docks with alligators on either side. Wow. It was just an experience. You appreciate South Florida in a way that, that someone from the outside might not. Like, you really, you, I mean, the fact that you're, you're taking your son out there for a thing, for a thing now, that connecting back to, to something that was part of your childhood, you know, that's something that you don't always get if you're... If you're coming to South Florida, you, you don't always get it. And until you can experience the beauty of the Everglades, uh, the beauty of the bay, uh, the beauty of the ocean, the beauty of the keys and the estuaries, uh, you don't really feel the need to protect them. Once you see them, you want to do anything and everything you can to protect uh, those areas, those beautiful, beautiful areas of our country. 
I'm curious because you uh, just reading about you that you have a, a background in real estate, yes. uh, which like that's such a South, that's just a perfect South Florida background. <laughs> but also having that environmental background, how do those two work together? In other words, you know, we, we hear so much, so many horror stories about, you know, wanting to push the development line, you know, further west and or further south and into these sensitive areas. How do you think about that differently? Well, you you have to think about things, you know, differently. We know that we have we have needs for housing, so we have to think about better ways of providing housing, you know, more density, uh, redevelopment in areas, so you don't have to uh, impose on, you know, the areas outside their urban development boundary. And if you are going to be doing that, you have to do it in a way that it is environmentally sustainable. And so they're not mutually exclusive, mm-hmm. but we need to do the, the, the things that we can do easily first, such as greater density in the areas uh, that we already have. And that's going to mean more improvements in public transportation. The county has been doing a, a wonderful job in, in expanding uh, uh, public transportation. The new transportation plan, uh, I think, is right on. We're going to have Panther Station at FIU that's, that's integrated with our parking garage six. Uh, so students, what is that? Is that, is that part of a, tr- that's, a transit that, system? That's or? part of the new uh, transit bus, uh, rapid uh, bus transit system mm. with Miami-Dade County. So having greater uh, public transportation, particularly in the urban core, mm-hmm. uh, will really make a lot of difference. You don't even need a car. There are new developments going up that have uh, more bicycle spots than parking spots. And that's really smart growth uh, in this county. Yeah. And, and, and this is something that's important for... You know, for our university, uh, environment is one of our key areas of emphasis. I mean, we, 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 we have the Aquarius uh, underwater reef in Key Largo, mm-hmm. the only one in the world where we're doing underwater research. We actually prepare astronauts for, for out of, outer space travel, but we look at water oh, quality. Oh, because of the, uh, the low gravity. Exactly. We look, at, we look at, you know, water qualities. Mm-hmm. We, we look at at the, the reefs, we look at the, at the, at the coral, and we, we, we factor in other components, such as how important are sharks and rays to uh, the corals on the reefs. They're very, very important. So those are the things that we're doing on the environmental side, but also on the resilience side. So we can look at ways that we can build better and stronger, uh, properties that will, will last longer and be uh, resistant to uh, sea level rise, the very extensive winds that we have in the in the plus, five, you know plus category five that we're seeing now. You're you're seeing winds in some of these storms over periods of time, 180, 190 miles per hour. So how can we design better? How can we build better? Is is that one of the reasons that uh, like when you went to school that you decided not to not to leave Florida to stay in South Florida? The, this idea that you can that you understand an area and can be in a leadership position where you can affect some of those things? Well, I, I love South Florida, and it was important for me uh, when finishing my Ph.D. Uh, to be close to South Florida. And I had a wonderful opportunity at Florida Atlantic University. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we worked that first year on admitting our, our first freshman class in 1984. Oh, wow. So even at that time, it was upper division and graduate. And it was great to, to grow uh, the university uh, with freshman and sophomore students. Right. And then uh, thinking about uh, FIU, when you you know when you you're getting kind of further into the more dense parts of, of South Florida, you know, from FAU certainly has its has its burst of growth, but nothing like down here as far as making a place uh, accessible and useful 
uh, to a population that really spans the entire that wide county, that very dense county. And you were talking about transportation. Yeah. Talk to me about some of those things because I know that there's challenges for kids getting to school. Every time I drive 836 coming <laughs> east and I see a double-decker highway coming up thinking, like, I, why didn't they put a train here? Like, yeah. uh, like, do you think about those things, the, the, student, the students that still are driving to school every day? We, we, uh, we do think about um, uh, those things. Uh, we have a very compact campus, just a little over 300 acres. Mm. So it's very, very tight. Yeah, uh, It's one of the smallest uh, in the state system. I think only New College of Florida Oh, wow. uh, with about a thousand students, has less land area than we have. So we've oh. had to be very smart in our our recent development. So we're going more more vertical, mm-hmm. uh, and that creates you know challenges uh, as well. But we're finding with greater housing on campus, we're reducing the need for students to have an automobile on campus. So that's a good thing. Yeah. If you were going to to, to a university today, with so many different options such as Uber. And, and, and uh, public transportation, why would you want to have the expense of owning and operating a car? And it's not just the cost of the car, the insurance that you have to pay, particularly in South Florida. I mean, it is very, very pricey. So we're, we're trying to do a lot of innovative things uh, on campus to make it better for the students. We've established a freebies program where students can go anywhere within three miles for free. And the freebie drivers are driving the, the, the oh, Teslas. Those, oh, those are those electric cars? The oh, electric using, cars. They're okay. using Teslas. Oh, wow. They're using Teslas to, right. as shuttles, as kind of like, like student shuttles? Exactly. Wow. Exactly. And we do have sh- shuttles between our, our campuses uh, from, from uh, our MMC campus, our main uh, campus in, in Southwest Miami-Dade, to our Biscayne Bay campus, uh, to our engineering center. Uh, just at Flagler and uh, 107th Avenue. So you don't really need an automobile on campus. And we're seeing more and more students not coming to campus uh, with cars. Wow. Our guest today is FIU President Ken Jessel. He's been at FIU since 2009 and was named president last year. You know, I, I want to talk a little bit more, yes, about the future of FIU, but also um, I, like you like your personal connection to South Florida is so interesting to me. You've raised a family here. Tell me a little bit about how, like, how you try to make, like, how you try to look at, live within South Florida. Tell me about your. You have kids. You said you have a son. I I have a uh, a son and I have a daughter and two grandsons. Oh wow! So you <laughs> so you become very busy all of a sudden in your in your personal life as well. Yes. What what kind of things do you like to do with them? What kind of things, especially with your grandchildren? I mean, when you talk about getting them. You know, you're talking about generations of people growing up in a place. What kind of things would you like for them to experience? Well, my uh, daughter and her husband and two grandsons live in Charlotte. Um, so I don't get to see them mm. uh, uh, as often as I would like. Mm-hmm. But when we get together, we like to have, uh, you know, great times. My second grandson was born uh, just a little over eight weeks ago. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Congrats. Uh, July 14th. So I was very blessed to be up there uh, the day that he was born. Uh, my wife was up there for actually two months, so she had a she had a wonderful time both Great. before and uh, and after uh, my grandson was born. And luckily for FaceTime, I get to talk to my uh, two and a half year old grandson uh, pretty regularly. <laughs> that must be that must be a trip. Like what a you know what a what a, a way to be able to stay in touch with them, right? It, it, it's it's incredible that we have that technology. Uh, what are you? I mean, you're. I was reading a little bit about your background. You are you still doing research? Do you still t- still spend time doing research even within your job? So I'm not doing any active research. I have no time. 
So just keeping track of the research is a job in itself. <laughs> well, I know that you do stay busy with some hobbies because you brought in two little packages. And, I, and anytime somebody shows up in the studio ready to do some show and tell, we are always excited. So there's a little orange box with a rubber band around it and something else wrapped. What are, what are we looking yes. at? So I have a hobby that I picked up probably 30 years ago. Okay. And that is antique silver. Antique silver? Yes. Okay. Where does that come from? So... It's it's uh, interesting how I I got into it. I had been at a neighborhood garage sale, literally mm -hmm. a garage sale right down the street, mm -hmm. and I bought this small piece of silver that had interesting marks on it. And those marks uh, created a passion because as I was researching the marks, I realized uh, how important they were to ensuring the integrity uh, of the piece quality-wise. Hmm. So. If I take a simple example, and I've got uh, two here, but a simple example, uh, the marking system in the United Kingdom goes back uh, literally to the 13th century. And, wow. be and beginning in the 1300s, they had a very elaborate marking system. So you knew who made the piece of silver, uh, when it was made, where it was surveyed for the right quality, and the composition of the materials. See, these things fascinate me because, uh, again, I, I come from an immigrant family and like we don't have heirlooms. You know, there are, there's no such thing as an heirloom in our family, you know. Um, and and it, it's always interesting to me when, when people are, you know, uh, you know, can create something that they can have from themselves but also pass down things that are connected to, to past generations. Correct. So these, these are obviously heirlooms from you know, prior generations. Mm -hmm. So the, the first one... What are we looking at here? ...is a small portrait of Madonna and Child by Mario Bucciolati. This is probably from the 1930s. It's only, as you can see, about two and a half by three and a half uh, inches. Right, it's got it's, these, uh, these stones that look like turquoise. It, turquoise stones, uh, sterling silver frame with uh, 14 karat gold... Uh, rosettes on it, and oh it's freestanding. Uh, this would have been hand carved by uh, someone in Mario Bucciolati's uh, studio in the 30s on an organic material. But it has a built-in stand on the back, so it's all self-contained. It has a little flip pin that you could actually mount it to the wall if you wanted to. But most of the time, this would be a bedside dresser. We, we have all our producers peeking into the, through the control room windows and they all want to take a look and <laughs> we're going to pass them around. But I, I'm, I'm curious, like this is um, like having a hobby like this. How does this help like kind of balance your personality versus like it? You know what I mean? You know, it gives you uh, time for a distraction. Mm -hmm. I do believe it's important to rest the mind. Yeah. And this is something that uh, to me is very fulfilling. I'm looking at this piece, I'm looking at the artistry, not mm -hmm. only by the silversmith that created the frame, but the engraver of, of the drawing. And this, would, this actual portrait is based on a painting by uh, Sandro Botticelli in about 1475 wow. that is in the Louvre. So if you, if you look at that uh, painting, you can see how the artist here just captured a part of it uh, to create an image that calls out to you. Right. And when I saw this, uh, I'm just admiring all the different aspects of it. The artist uh, uh, that did the engraving and, and, the, and the, the, the silversmith, 
And I said, this truly reflects the best of multiple wor- worlds of art and craft. Yeah, I feel like I'm at I'm in at the Antiques Roadshow. You know what I mean? Like getting the full. Oh, and what? Do you, how do you follow your passion? Do you do you look for? Are you a garage sale guy? Or are you going to so, like? So once in a while we'll do. I, are you well, on the Sotheby's website? Not, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, all of those things, but we're not we're not buying uh, quite as much as we uh, we used to. But we'll we'll stop in in uh, antique shops if we're if we're driving through an area. Uh, we'll also look for estate sales that that look kind of interesting. Uh, but I look at for pieces that that are unusual. The second piece that I brought in uh, is not a very elaborate piece. It's a bone marrow spoon. Oh my God! And that is a first for me. This this is a a spoon that has a a long uh, uh, bowl uh, for larger bones and a smaller bowl that's even longer uh, for for small bones. And this is when. Eating bone marrow was a real delicacy. I mean, I think we're back in the we're now, back in that phase right now. If there, if you have a if you have a restaurant that doesn't have a, you know rustic wooden chairs and bone marrow on the menu, ex- are you even dining out? Exactly. So <laughs> this this is actually for, uh, an English piece uh, from 1744, and we know who made it. Uh, the composition of the of the metal, which is sterling silver, 92.5 percent pure wow. silver, two, uh, 7.5 uh, copper. And it was assayed or tested in London. So the assayer would have made these stamps. So everyone knew the quality of the piece. Uh, and it's, it's uh, interesting because if you had coins, you could have the coins melted down mm. into a bowl or spoon a like bone that. marrow spoon. Mm-hmm. And if times got really tough, you could take the spoon and the bowl and have those melted down and recoined. And wow. so that's why it was important to maintain the integrity of the material because you could imagine if you tried to dilute it with more copper you would and you were making coins mm-hmm. uh, you could overstate the supply of currency in the economy so they, they they wanted to make sure that when you bought something that it was the purity that you were intending to receive and there were severe penalties if you were found guilty of fraud. Wow! So this, this. This, this this hobby really ties into your your interest in finance and and currency and everything. Exactly. Else, right? That's really what started me. It was the research on the on the markings more so than the piece itself. Wow! I, I'm curious. You know, you're in you're at this point where you can you know you have you have these these hobbies that you can follow and and I'm curious what it was like. You know, to reach this position you are in now, where you know you're you're kind of helping form young minds. You know, where where people are finding their own curiosities and such. Um, when you when you got into this position as as the president, did who were there some of the people that w- that were closest to you that were able to kind of appreciate it, right? Because your your mom was still living when when you were the interim president, right? It, it's uh, yes. Yeah, she was uh, alive when uh, I was uh, the interim president, and she knew that I was becoming the president. Oh, wow. And when she was in the rehab center, uh, she wanted me to give her a business card uh, so she could give to uh, one of the therapists. Oh, so she could brag, my so son, she, so, the, the university president. <laughs> yes, so she could brag. Uh, she knew that it was going to be another month before I was uh, officially confirmed by uh, the Florida Board of Governors. So my business card had on it, interim president. And I will always remember her looking at the card and saying, uh, take it back, give me a card when it says president. <laughs> <laughs> and this is before you had really decided that 
this is something you wanted to pursue to be the, the permanent president? Well, at that time, I, I had, had put my name in. So she knew I was going to become the president I see. at that point. But I wasn't yet the president. But she was very, very proud, for sure, uh, of that. Uh, it, it wasn't in my plan to become president. Uh, but as I said earlier, mm -hmm. I love FIU. I love our students. I love our faculty, our staff, and our community. And I looked at it as an opportunity to serve others. And for me, it's an opportunity of a lifetime. It's a, it's a dream come true in so many ways. Right. I mean, you, you talked about the work that the university is doing environmentally, you know, the, the, you know having folks train underwater and, and really being aware of, of transit and how that affects, you know, um, uh, you know our community, right? Um, talk to me about that, about, you know, being in a place that, you can that can affect kind of where you grew up and finding real-world solutions that you're seeing to problems around you, like how does that, how does that help you form, you know, your your vision for the university? Well, we have to be a solution center, hmm. uh, and when you look at the problems that South Florida is facing, they are similar problems you're finding around the world. I don't think anyone can deny that that sea levels are rising. That is a problem that is affecting us, uh, and it's affecting many, many other areas. In many ways, we are ground zero. So if we can be the real leader, the real innovator in those solutions, what we're doing here at FIU can translate to many other areas. And there's, you know, when you think, we have the, the, the Atlantic, we've got the Bay, we've got the Everglades, we've got the Gulf, we've got the estuaries, all of these things. No other place has the rich combination of ecosystems that we have here. So that is a big focus for us. Take, the, what, we're, take, take what we have, research, learn, uh, come up with solutions, and then use those throughout the world. Tell me about some of the things that, that uh, students or researchers are working on at FIU that, you're excited, that you personally are excited about. Maybe not as quite as excited about your silver <laughs> hobby, well, but... <laughs> well, actually, even more, I'm more excited, uh, you know, about, uh, about the, these things. If you've ever seen... Uh, Shark Week on TV. A big part of that is FIU. When that show comes on, I get calls from friends all around the country that say, I just saw Shark Week with a seven or eight scientist from FIU on the boat, in the water, with the sharks. Uh, and oh, that wow. is just so impressive. You guys uh, literally have a, a students and grads and professors have a hand our, in creation our, of the show. Our, our dean of the College of Art, Sciences, and Education was with National Geographic for, for many years, a strong academic, does amazing research on, on sharks, uh, particularly uh, the, the fact that two-thirds of the species of shark are on the verge of extinction just because of the shark fin trade. Hmm. And so they're looking at ways to, to, to sustain the populations of, of shark. And I mentioned earlier, sharks are very important to uh, the reefs are very important to coral, so which we, we're which we're having such a problem with uh, coral bleaching. Coral bleaching, it. yeah. Right, seagrass is a, is being eliminated. How does the loss of seagrass in the bay, you know, impact uh, uh, life uh, below the water? And we know it does. Manatees are going to have to move, you know, further north. We can't continue to feed them lettuce and cabbage from a boat. There's, it's just not going to happen. Right. So all of these things are so inter, inter, interrelated. Uh, and the fact is, everything that we do at FIU, in some way or another, uh, will tie in. You can't talk about environment without talking about health. Mm 
hmm. as we see a warming a globe, right. what does that mean to the health of its people? Not only physically, but psychologically. Right. Right. How do we how do we deal with you know design and architecture? Uh, how do we incorporate uh, music and art into the health of people? And we know that there are many opportunities uh, to to use music, to 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 use art, to use performance to improve the health of many individuals. So you guys are really looking at at FIU is you're looking at the different disciplines and looking like how are how are these each speaking to South Florida specifically then? Exactly, and not only independently, but how they are working together with collaboration. Mm -hmm. And that collaboration, I think, gives us the advantage of doing more in terms of solving problems. Because a lot of times we're, we're so focused on solutions based upon processes that we used in the past, mm -hmm. and now we can look at different ways of treating illness, different ways of preserving the environment than in the past. Right. I'm curious how, how FIU then works together with other other institutions, uh, other universities, FIU, FAU, uh, but also, you know, community institutions. Yeah. You know, talk to me about some of that, about how, uh, you know, the, the kind of partnerships you guys are looking for. Well, you have to have partnerships, mm -hmm. and we do have many partnerships with, with other uh, universities because each one of them will have a unique skill set that can help us. Mm. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. Nobody could afford to reinvent the wheel, uh, quite honestly. And even locally, having having uh, alliances and partnerships, uh, not only with educational institutions but with business, with with uh, with industry. Uh, our our Knight Center mm -hmm. uh, is one example where we partnered with with the Knight Foundation because we know technology t technology and innovation are a very big part of our future. Right. So you want to do that because we don't have the resources to do everything and by collaborating, uh, we are able to do more with, with less and do it at the highest level. In your opinion, like what is, what is FIU's wheelhouse? What is the thing that FIU can do that you're proudest of that you really want to make sure they put that foot forward, the university put that foot forward? Well, producing outstanding graduates mm -hmm. is what I'm the most proud of. Because when you think about the fact that we have over 300,000 alumni, and most of those are right here in South Florida, Palm Beach County, Broward County, and Miami-Dade County, think of the economic impact mm. that we have here. And we do need a vibrant economy in South Florida. That's what's going to generate the resources that we need, the talent that we need, the businesses that we need uh, to move forward. And I think I'm so proud of that because of our students. Uh, we talked a little bit about the demographics. Uh, you had mentioned in the opening comments about 25% of our students being first gen. In our freshman class this year of over 5,300 new students, over 50% of those students are first gen students. Wow. So think of that impact. So I am proudest of that followed by the great research uh, that we're doing. We're one of the biggest patent producers in the country. Ken, it has been a real pleasure to be able to spend the hour with you. Thank you so much for coming in. The opportunity has been mine. Thank you. Our guest today was FIU President Kenneth A. Jessel. We're just going to call him Ken. He's a South Florida native who leads one of the largest public universities in the country. And that's Sundown for Tuesday, September 19th. Leslie Owaya Atkinson is our lead producer. Elisa Baena is our producer and social media editor. 
Sergio Bustos is WLRN's VP of News. Katie Munoz is our Director of Live Programming. Peter J. Mertz is WLRN's VP of Radio. Engineering our board today is Richard Ives. Our theme music is by the Miami Afro-Cuban funk band Palo at gopalo.com. You can download a podcast of this program. Just search for WLRN Sundial on your podcast app. Coming up tomorrow on the show, he's done stand-up comedy on Navy ships and sketches on BuzzFeed's YouTube channel. And tomorrow, the Miami Improv. Comedian Gadiel Del Orbe joins us. I'm Carlos Frias. Good vibes only. WLRN Public Media.